0: Hey, uh, so Shine was last Friday night, but uh, Shine is an event we do for all of, uh, all, all of uh, the people in this area uh, with, with special needs, but we also, it, that's an event, but we want to increase that more and more and more, and so we have a thing called Circle of Friends, and if, if you were plugged in the, uh, the last Friday night, or you wanted to be plugged in, or you have a, a heart for these, the, our theme was superheroes, and, and uh, the, 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 our guests that night and, and their caretakers are really superheroes every day, so all year long we want to take good care of them, and so we have, a, we have a ministry called Circle of Friends, you can go out to the information center on your way out today also you can get on our website on the front page if I get boring get on your smartphone right now and just look it up and and you can get involved and find out more that's not going to happen but uh <laughs> but you can get involved in uh in, in circle of friends ministry and talk to Anthony who's running that uh, uh it's a good day it's a good day it's kind of spring outside Kentucky's 31 and 0 undefeated Ha! Ah, because God's good I don't want to hear about it Duke fans anyway so there you go but anyway, uh, I'm I'm in a good mood, good, good, good mood. All right. So, hey, let, before we get in this, let's pray together, and then we'll we'll jump right into this. All right, let's pray. So, God, you're so good, and you're doing such good things in our lives, and Lord, we came in here for a lot of different reasons. Some of us ran in here because we're excited. Some of us crawled in here because we're just looking for some hope. So, God, well, here's here's what we're, we're asking. Same thing as last week. Will you just teach us one good thing about yourself, about your Son Jesus? Because if we can get our arms around one good thing, it just seems like it makes a difference in our life. So, God, again. Would you just teach us one good thing about your son Jesus today? It'll just change everything. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, let's jump into this. So, so we're going to continue our, our studying. We're studying through the book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians is actually a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to some people who live in a town called Colossae. So a lot of times whenever you see weird names and things like that for books in the Bible, usually they're named after a town or, or who that letter was written to. So these people lived in Colossae. And so this guy named Paul, or he couldn't get there, so he wrote him a letter. And he's, and he's writing a letter to new Christians. All right, so they've only been Christians just for, for like a few minutes. All right, and so he's trying to explain to them or remind them what God has already already done for them in Jesus by taking away their sins and things like that but the other part of this letter that he's writing to them and and then to us now reading it is is to remind them of what is now possible because of what Jesus did for them. okay this is what Jesus did for you but also I want to remind you of what is now possible kind of a a vision of what's possible for what Jesus did for us and the word that Paul uses to describe this new vision this possibility this new life this new kingdom is what he calls it is the word mystery that's where we get the, the title of this series this new life that's available in Jesus, he says it's, it's a mystery. And so, so Paul starts out, and I'll just review the last couple of weeks, by reminding us where we all came from and what our situation was. There was a day, all right? He points out that because our minds were focused on the wrong things, or how about this, because our, our hearts and minds were focused in a direction other than God, so because of that, so was our strategy for life. It was focused on something other than how I made decisions about what's right and what's wrong, what I'm going to do with my life. It, it, was, it was focused on the wrong things. And so my, my, my strategy for life was kind of focused on the, based on the wrong things. And because of that, Paul says that, that we were alienated from God. And we felt like that before. We're like, oh, like on, God's on one side of the Grand Canyon and we're on the other and we can't get to him. We're separated from God. It literally translates, we're in hostile ter- territory from where God is. Because of, because of, of our, 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 our past transgressions, our sins, whatever, we felt cut off from God. But here's what Jesus did. This is what Scott spent a lot of time on a couple weeks ago. To remind us who Jesus is. Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. This is all in the book of Colossians. He's the fullness of God. He's the firstborn over all creation. All things were created by him and for him. Jesus is before all things and in Jesus All things hold together. Jesus has supremacy over all things. Jesus is king of everything. And because we were cut off, Jesus, let me remind you, the fullness of God, physically and literally allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. He shed his blood. He died to pay the price of sin. And in doing so, he bought us out of sin. He brought us back. He reconciled us and connected us into full intimacy with God. And then to prove that he didn't just die a martyr's death, he didn't just die for a good cause, all right? A lot of people did that, all right? His death was more than that. And to prove that, God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day becoming what Paul calls in Colossians chapter 1 Jesus is the firstborn among the dead he's the first one that God did that right he was dead three days he brought him back and said now this is what's possible if, if you'll put your faith in my son Jesus connection connection with God is again possible for you and I no matter what we've done through faith in what Jesus did for us and Jesus called living fully connected in the presence of God Jesus called that that's the good news in the Bible, sometimes you see it's the gospel, living in the kingdom of God, living fully aware that God is near. God is near, living every day knowing that God is near. And so last week, all right, we spent a few minutes, last few minutes of, of our time together, simply doing that, simply slowing down and, and taking a breath, being quiet and being still, and not, okay, not emptying our minds of everything, all right, not, not, like, like some non-biblical form of transcendental meditation. That's not what we did. We focused our minds, right? If you weren't here last week, get online and watch, right? But we focused our minds. The Bible says we took every thought captive and made it obedient to Christ. We meditated. We we simply contemplated two things, two biblical truths that tend to get lost in the busyness and the noise of our life. And those two very connected biblical truths that we we meditated on, we concentrated on, were simply this. Christ is in me and God is near. Remember that? Christ in me, God is near. Let's just say that together. One, two, three. Christ in me God is near, right? That's true, that, 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 that's reality, all right? But a lot of times we miss it. But when we slow down and intentionally lean into these truths, truth, they just change everything. They make a difference in, in everything we might encounter all week long. And I've got hundreds of emails this week going for the first time in my life, I actually believe that. I got hundreds of emails, all positive. I got four or five ones that were kind of concerned about if I was going off the deep end, but let me just tell you this, all right? <laughs> yes, thank you. But none, none of them were mean, and I appreciate that. It's like, hey, Jim, I'm concerned about how you said that or what was, uh, how, how you said I, I love that. You can always lean into me about that. It just makes a difference when we really know that Christ is in us and God is near. It makes a difference in how I live my life. It also makes a difference in how I see other people, people that a lot of times I'll just be, you know, walking through life and I'll look at them and go, well, they're not important or, or I don't have time for them or, or how about this? I'm behind them in traffic and they're just annoying, right? If you're here, you'll under- remember that story, right? But because Christ is in me and God is near, I see people different. Because Jesus says that however I see people and however I treat people, Jesus says that's how you see me. And so if Christ is in me and, 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 and and the image of God is in them, it makes a difference how I treat them, right? It just does. Remember this? We looked at this last week. It says this, to repent is to rethink our strategy for life now that the option of the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom is near. What's that? Christ in us, God is near. And those two mysteries, if those are true, they make a difference in how we approach God, how we see life, and how we treat other people. But the other big kind of aha moment for me over the last several weeks, I spent a couple weeks in Africa and I'll be back for a couple weeks, kind of goes like this, is that in order for me to live in, in that reality or out of that reality that Christ really is in me and God is right here, in order to do that, I have to slow down. I, I, I have to slow down. As, as the Bible says in four, Psalm 46, I, I need to be still and know that he is God. And here's what I know about myself. I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at slowing down or being still, all right? Ask my mom. I never have been very good at being, be, being still, all right? I'm not, I'm not very good at leaning into the reality that Christ is in me and God's with me. The Bible says that that's reality, but honestly, the noise and craziness of my life, as I walk go through my week, my problems and my circumstances feel more real than Christ is in me and God is near, so, so this is a process. I'm learning to live in that new reality, all right? It, it's like training yourself. It's like going to the gym and getting a new muscle memory of how you're gonna live your life because even if it is real and even if it is possible to live out of Christ in me and, and God is near me, I'm not gonna do that unless I get some better tools in my life, some better habits in my life and practice See, I'm, I'm going to practice until I, I, it finally becomes my new norm, my new go-to, the, my new strategy for life. And, and I, I've met people who go, you know, I became a Christian and I just, I've lived in his presence every moment since then. Well, you're, you're better than me. You're more spiritual than me. I, I'm slow. I, it takes me a lot of practice to actually live out of Christ in me and, and God is near me. All right, so, so last week, I, I shared one of the ways that I'm learning to do that. It's an idea that I was reading a book in Africa about Apache initiation back here, you know, uh, out, out here, like down in Arizona, and, and there's this guy in, in the book, he, you know, he, he's kind of being mentored by this Apache uh, you know, wise man or something like that, and, and in, that, in that book, this guy learns to be still, and just to, to, to take a breath and relax and, and let God bring him whatever God wanted to bring him. And in this Apache book, remember I told you, don't, don't read it, it's weird, some weird stuff happened. I mean, he's, he's praying, he, he peeks during his prayer, and the guy's head starts glowing, and trees start glowing, and it's really, really, really weird, weird stuff. Now, let me just emphasize every, again what I said, said last week, but a lot of you missed it. I'm not endorsing the Apache faith system that's not based on Christ, or any, any faith system that's not based on Christ. I'm not getting behind that, and I'm not even endorsing the author of the book. I researched the author this past week, found out some pretty disturbing stuff about him. All right, all right. And anyway, you know what, I'm not even sure what happened to him is real or true. I don't, I don't know. But the big takeaway for me, reading that book in Africa, had nothing to do with the Apache faith or, or the author of that book. The, the big takeaways for me simply were this. First, why is it And I shared this last week, why is it whenever I I hear or I read about somebody having a spiritual experience, or what Paul would would call in the Bible, a mysterious spiritual experience or encounter with God, something that's outside of anything I've ever experienced in my life, outside of what I consider to be normal based on how I was raised, outside of my comfort level, whenever I hear about somebody having a different kind of spiritual experience, why is it that my first response is always, that's impossible? That's just weird. I hear about some. well, that, that, that's just impossible. Not it's impossible because it violates God's word. That's not, that, I'd like to say that's the reason, but that's not. No, I jump to it's impossible because I just never thought about it that way. I have just never considered it that way, all right? Why, why is it that I, I put certain limits on God that God never put on himself? Or the way that, that we can live in a daily, intimate, conversational relationship with him? Why? Why do I just immediately jump to that's not possible? Now, here's the other thing I want to emphasize again today, all right? We have to be careful with this. Anytime you kind of go into some new spiritual territory, why? Because we know, the Bible's clear on this, that God is light, right? God is light, says it all over the Bible, God is light. And we also know that Satan is really good at trying to fool and trap people by masquerading or appearing to be a false version of God's light. So we've got to be careful, Right? So, so by carefully using wisdom and discernment, which the Holy Spirit promises to give us, and asking to be led by the Holy Spirit of God, here's, what, here's my plan, all right? Here, here's kind of my strategy for life. I'm gonna use any and all things that I can find to help me focus on and be filled with Christ, to help me live in, and, in the actual reality that I miss too often because my life is busy and I'm not very good at slowing down to, 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 to experience Christ is in me and God is near. I'm gonna use anything I can. And I know, I know, all right, that, that many false religions and cults and human philosophies use things like meditation and relaxation and breathing techniques and rituals for many, many bad reasons. But if I can take some of those things and leverage them to be filled with Christ, if I can do anything, this is what I shared last week, if I can sit in Africa on the floor in my underwear in the middle of the night, you have to be here to understand that, just go with it, all right? Or how about this? This is, this is more reasonable, all right? We live in Colorado. If I can go sit on top of a mountain and stare at mountains and trees and stars, and I can breathe in and breathe out and fill my mind with the word of God and the light of Christ. I'm gonna do it. And if you have a problem with that, you should just pray through that because, because it's very, very consistent with, 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 with God's word, all right? In, in other words, this. I, I am not gonna shun the original light simply because it resembles the counterfeit light. I'm not gonna avoid light because it might be Satan because if I do that, I'll miss God. Does that make sense? So last week, and I know it's kind of controversial, we, 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 tried, you know, we tried some stuff. You can call it contemplative prayer, as in, by definition, because there's lots of definitions out here. Here's what I mean when I say contemplative prayer. Casting aside your worries and burdens, that's biblical, and filling your mind and contemplating the word of Christ, that's biblical. And, or you, you could call it breath prayer. Breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, right? Christ in me. The Lord is near. You can call it meditating on the word of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You can call it being quiet in order to be still and know that God really is God. If any of those things help me or you lean into the reality that Christ is in me and God is near, I'm going to do them a lot, a lot, until I learn to live in the reality all day long that Christ is in me and God is near instead of only thinking about it when I come in rooms like this or I need God to be near me because I screwed something up and I need him to fix it. I haven't thought about you all all week long, God, but now I need you to be nearer, because I made a mistake. I want more than that. I do. I I, I want more than that. So that's where we've been in this series so far, all right? So so I've been reading through Colossians some more, You know, and while I was was reading and studying over in Africa, all right, I'm sitting in a culture, I'm reading this stuff in the Bible, and I'm sitting in a culture all right, that, that's very different than my culture, but, but I'm sitting in Africa in a culture that, that resembles the culture that Jesus grew up in and walked around in much more than the culture that I grew up in or that we live in, in, very, very, in here in Colorado. The, what, what I experienced in Africa and the, and the culture Jesus grew up in were more alike than what I, gr- what I grew up in in Indiana. Does that make sense? So here, here's my next question, all right? This is where we're going today. Is it possible to take off my filter here's what I mean by that. My North American, ra- raised in the 20th and 21st century filter, a culture that focuses on and is obsessed with financial wealth equals success and happiness, that everywhere I go, the, the, this sermon is being preached to me by our culture, do whatever feels right to you, and, and our culture is obsessed with the illusion of security. Can I take that filter off and read the Bible differently? or how about this I've been raised in an American church culture with a filter that that, that wrongly equates God's blessing and God's approval with my personal health, wealth and happiness is it possible to take that off All right, that filter off and read and see the Bible and what Jesus said was true in the context of what was really going on and what Jesus meant and what he was referring to is it possible to actually see the Bible apart from the filter of all I know Can I step outside that? I I like, I heard one author put it. I'm reading now. It's dangerous. I'm an adult. Look at this, all right? I I not only want to have faith in Jesus, I also want to have the faith of Jesus. I love that. that. That's worth writing down. That's the best thing you're going to hear all day, right? I, and I'm going to claim it as my own from now on, all right? So I, I, I not only want to have faith in Jesus, I do have faith in Jesus. I lean my life against Jesus, died, is the Son of God, died on a cross, rose from the dead in three days. I, I, my faith is leaned against that. My faith is in Jesus. I also want to have the faith of Jesus. I want to I wanna believe the same, same things Jesus believed in. I, that's, what I wanna, that's gotta be a better way to live, you know? People say, well, why do you believe that? Well, that's what Jesus believed, I'm going with him. You know, he died, rose from the dead after three days. If, if, you, if you do that, I'll follow you too, all right? So that, that's my basic theology, all right? I just wanna believe the same things Jesus believed in. That just seems like a better way to live. I, I mean, the culture that I live in today is not exactly the same as the culture that Jesus lived in or that I experienced back in, in, in Africa, but the truth that Jesus taught back then and was pointed out, that's exactly the same. That hasn't changed. Right? And people back then, in Jesus' day, you know, 2,000 years ago, and the people in Africa on the other side of the world, and the people sitting in this room today, we're all exactly the same. People really are people. And God, I read this all over the Bible, God back then, 2,000 years ago, God in Africa right now, and God in this room today is exactly the same. He never changes. So is it possible to take off my cultural filter and see Jesus and his teaching through new eyes? How many times did Jesus say, if you have eyes to see, see? See, all right, and if I understood what was going on back then and the truth that Jesus was referring to back then, would it make those timeless truths mean even more to me right now in this life? And the answer that I found so far to be true is yes, absolutely. Every time that I gain greater understanding of what was going on back in Jesus' world 2,000 years ago that I find written on the pages of a book written 2,000 years ago, the more I understand what was going on then, those truths become more relevant and applicable to my life today. And that's what I want to look at today. I I want to kind of take off our filter and go back and and look at the the world Jesus grew up in. All right, so I'll give you an example, all right? So last month I was in in South Sudan for two weeks, all right? And and we were over there, and and normally we get to go out to to this village where where Flatirons built this this clinic, all right? And so we weren't able to do that. We stayed in the the main town of Rumbek and we weren't allowed to go out there because it was dangerous. And the reason is because of tribal warfare was going on. Tribal warfare, clan, family, f- blood feuds were going on. And, and we as Americans, we could have gotten in the land cruise and we could have gone out there and we probably would have been safe to travel the roads all, all over the place. But if one of our Sudanese staff or our, 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 our Sudanese driver was spotted, all right, by the wrong tribe or the wrong clan, our vehicle would have been stopped, he would have been dragged out and been shot on the spot. Maybe a spear put through him, all right? As a matter of fact, part of our Sudanese staff right there in Roombeck, they wouldn't even cross the, the line in the middle of the town. There's an airport. Some, some of our staff wouldn't even go on that side because to go on that side was to go into another family's territory and they were afraid they'd be killed. So as we went around even, even that town, sometimes part of our staff would go on this part of this uh, a town with us and part of it would only go to that side o- over there. See, let, let me explain what was going on back then and then we'll understand what's going on in, in Jesus' day a little bit more. See, see different clans within the the Dinka tribe. So all over South Sudan, they're almost all part of the big Dinka tribe, but there's different clans and families within that tribe. And they were killing each other over things like, you stole my cows, which is their bank account. So I'm gonna kill you, you stole my cows. Or over, over unpaid debts, you owe me money and you haven't paid me back. But here's the big one, all right? They were hunting and killing each other as payback for past murders that had happened years, maybe decades ago, but they kept score. They kept score. Your grandpa killed my grandpa, or your great-grandpa killed my my great-grandpa, and I caught you in the woods by yourself, and it's payback time. See, Dinka culture is a culture of revenge. Blood for blood, eye for eye. Now, here's why I tell you that, all right? What I just saw in South Sudan is much more similar to the world that Jesus grew up in than the world that I grew up in or live in right now. We have very few tribal killings in Erie, I'm just telling you, all right? We, we just don't, all right? But, but this, this is gonna pop your Jesus bubble a little bit, in a good way, all right, as you understand w- how he grew up. Jesus grew up in a tribal society, not a subdivision. Ah, all right, see? Jesus grew, under a, grew up under a tribal system and a culture based on blood, under a religious system built on blood sacrifice. Everything was based on blood, and I'll show you what I mean. Uh, again, th- this is, you're going to think about Jesus in a different way today. Jesus never went to church. There weren't any, all right? He never, he, Jesus wasn't even a Christian. That just blew your mind. What? <laughs> what, what? What? All right. I promise, all right? I promise. Jesus never, ever sang a song about the old rugged cross. Not once, that would be like us singing a song about the electric chair. He just, it would just, just be weird, all right? Just, he, he didn't do that, all right? Jesus never took communion. If somebody in his town or his synagogue would have said, hey, let's take communion to represent the body and blood of the Savior, they would have looked at him like, are you a cannibal? That is the worst thing I've ever heard, which was an accusation the church got later. Jesus was Jewish. He was Jewish and he went to a Jewish synagogue and, and he went to a Jewish temple in Jerusalem a few times, all right, where he was taught all of his life, there are rules. And there's a price and there's a cost and there's a wage that you have to pay if you break a rule. Everybody refers to the good old days. I bet it was easy in Jesus' day. Let me tell you, Jesus wasn't raised with prayer in school. Well, that's probably true, right? let Let me tell you what Jesus was raised in. He was raised in a country that was occupied by an invading Roman Empire where public prayer to any god other than a prayer to the emperor could be punished by death. The Romans permitted the Jewish religion to operate on a very limited basis only to control the people only to maintain you know, and appease the, the, the people. But, but the moment the Jewish people got out of hand, or the moment that Caesar changed his mind, which eventually he does, that temple went away. Not one stone left on top of the other. All the synagogues were destroyed, and all the Jewish people, and later the Christians, either had to practice their faith in secret, or they ran away to another country where they wouldn't be persecuted. See, again, we, we gotta think about Jesus differently, all right? He's, this is gonna blow your minds, okay? Because I've got the paintings, and I've seen the, 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 the windows. Jesus wasn't even white or black, right? He was Middle Eastern, so when you watch the news and you, and you see stuff over in Iraq and, Af- and Afghanistan, stuff like, yeah, that, that's what Jesus looked like, right? Jesus wasn't raised in a, in a big modern city. He was raised in a small country village in the middle of nowhere. And Jesus's village, like all Israeli villages, was made up primarily of his relatives and extended family. Who lived in Jesus's village, all right? His mom, Joseph, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins. Call it a family, call it a clan. And all the villages and the clans in that part of the country were from, from the same tribe. Jesus was tribal. The nation of Israel was was made up of 12 tribes. Each tribe coming from and taking its name from one of the 12 sons of a man named Jacob who later changed his name to Israel, all right? Israel. And and each tribe, once they entered the promised land, crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, they'd all settled in one of the three sections of the country. Jesus' tribe was called the tribe of Judah. Judah, all right? And Judah was one of Jacob's sons, all right? So, uh, you got this one, all right? Jesus was born in the town of? Bethlehem Christmas come on you know that all right right? so Jesus was born in Bethlehem why there it's the city of David named after one of his tribal family ancestors he had to go to register in a family census there right he grew up in a podunk middle eastern village called Nazareth and his entire society was based on tribal culture and certain ceremonies, and rites of passage, and initiation rituals, spiritual rituals, and the culture that Jesus grew up in would much more resemble African Dinka culture, or maybe Maasai culture, or how about this, Apache tribal culture, much more than it would Colorado suburban middle class culture. Jesus wasn't middle class. He, 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 was, he, he was a country kid in a village in the middle of nowhere in a tribe of Judah. And we've got we to see the world that Jesus grew up in because it will make the, the Bible just come to life. I'll, I'll show you what I mean, all right? Let's go back to Colossians chapter 2. Free Bible's in the back. Go get one because you want to write in the margins and take it with you. It's also going to be here on, on the screen. In chapter 2, all right, this is going to blow your mind, so just take a breath. You'll be fine, all right? Breathe in, breathe out. I'm all right. Here we go. Ready? In chapter 2, the word circumcision is used three times, and the word uncircumcision is used once. Some of you going, oh no, oh yes. All right, here we go. All right, so, see, now, if you, if you grew up anything like me, all right, when we read or we see references to circumcision in the Bible, we just kind of look at it and go, uh, and we either kind of brush it aside as something that people used to do back in Bible times for some obscure religious reason, but today we don't do that anymore. It's just a medical procedure, has no connection to God. That's just true today right I mean my, so my daughter's getting ready to have our, our my fourth grandchild a little boy named Micah do it at any moment now I might run off the stage or if I get a phone call right so, but but if they choose to have Micah circumcised over here at Good Sam I promise there's not going to be a spiritual ceremony there in the operating room they're not going to gather around and have prayer and stuff like that they're just going to they're just going to do it and then the, the kids are going to they're going to they're, they're bring him home there's no connection to spirituality it's just something people used to do that's what I've always looked at in the Bible. Or how about this? We see that word, and this is what a lot of us do just when I mentioned it a minute ago, we, 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 we re- respond like this, uh, I don't want to think about that. I, I don't want to think about that. Let's just keep reading. Especially when one of our kids asks us, hey, Mom, what's that mean? And we go, nothing. Let's just read about Noah. Here we go, all right? So, all right, because we, we, we kind of say, well, that's not important, all right? But let me, let me tell you this, all right? It is very important. It's very much, because it's all over the Bible, and it's very important that we understand why it was such a big deal in the Bible. And if we, here's here's our goal, all right, if we could let go of our North American, I'm not comfortable talking about certain body parts in church, even if Jesus talked about them, if we could get past that, we would discover that understanding what was really going on back then is extremely important to us right now. It's a big deal. Let me explain. One of, one of the tribal spiritual ceremonies and initiation rituals that Jesus and everybody that Jesus grew up with and knew in his tribe, his village, his family, and the entire nation understood and took for granted as to its meaning and its importance, and that would be circumcision. It was a big, big deal back then. And so, "Well, why was that so important? Well, let's have another history lesson. And, and again, all this will tie up at the end. You'll go, now it all makes sense. History lesson number two goes like this. Thousands of years before Jesus was even born, The Bible teaches that God chose a man named Abram. Abram, all right, it's it's back in Genesis, all right? Told him to pack up his wife and his belongings and go to, here's the directions, a land that I will show you. This is a little vague, all right? Right or left, I'll I'll just go, just walk, all right, all right? And and here's the thing, when you get there, and and I will make you into a great nation and you will be my people and I'll be your God. And the Bible says that Abram believed. Okay, I believe. He believed God and that his faith was credited to Abram as righteousness. You're connected to me because of your faith, Abram. And in that same breath, and that same promise, God made it clear that the greater promise of going to this land, and I'll make you into a great nation, the greater promise and the result of his promise to Abram was that, Abram, one of your future descendants, years from now, we know that to be Jesus now, eventually you'll have a descendant that will save everybody, Jewish or not, who believe by that same I trust God faith. And later as a sign of of that covenant, which is a word for promise, that promise that God had made to Abram and his descendants, a couple things happened. First, God added his own name to Abram's name, Jehovah or Yahweh, all right? He added to Abram's name, and Abram's name became Abraham. Breathe out. The breath of God, all right? It became Abraham. And then in the next breath, God instructed Abraham to circumcise himself and every male descendant in the future. Now, time out. All right? Because here's a good question. All right? And almost everybody has thought about but almost nobody has really been able to give a good answer or is able to give a good answer. But how about this? Of all the things God could have chosen, <laughs> you with me? Uh, I picked this, all right? All right, so of all the things that God could have done, all right, here's the question, all right? Why did God choose circumcision as the sign of his promise to send someone to take away our sins and reconnect us back into the family of God? And here's another question that comes to mind. And why did this sign make total sense to Abraham? Okay. (laughs) Because I'll be honest with you, all right? If God and I were talking and God threw out a command like, take a knife and cut off the end of your penis, all right, and didn't give me any reason or explanation, I would have at least asked for a bit more clarification. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about this, Lord. How would I pierce my ears? Something like that, all right? I mean... (laughs) That just, just seems better, but but Abram's like, okay, where's the knife? I'm like, are you kidding me? So why why, why circumcision? Why? Well how about I ask the question a different way and I assume I'm just going off this because this is kind of the warning we have in here that everybody in this room is middle school and age or are above or your parents believe that you can handle this so I assume everybody in the room has a general idea of how babies are made and that's all I'll say about that so without being graphic or inappropriate let me ask the same question a different way why did God choose the cutting and the shedding of blood on the male body part that delivers new life as a sign of his promise Look at that again, all right? Why did God choose? He could have done anything he wanted. Why did God choose the cutting and the shedding of blood on the male pot body part that delivers new life as the sign of, of his promise? And I'm gonna give you three answers to that, all right? And they get, they get more and more important. The last one's the most important. Re- a- a- answer number one, because of the reality of how things work, it's just how it works. What do you mean by that? I mean, nature teaches us this is just true. I'll give you that. Jesus actually shows up. He actually quotes a popular saying from Greek mythology. He doesn't quote Bible verses. He's talking to some Greek men who have a question about about who he is and who God is and all that. And so he he quotes from their own Greek mythology, and he says this. Look at this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, all right, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So if it doesn't fall into the earth and die, it's just going to be one grain of wheat. That's all it's ever going to be. But if it dies, it bears what? Much fruit, all right? In other words, see, here's what Jesus is teaching us, right? Just like in every other area of nature and life, just, just look at nature, look at, look at the, 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 the animal kingdom, whatever, this is just the way things work. For new life to come about, something has to bleed, something has to die first. And Jesus says to these Greek men, watch me, I'll go first. I'll, I'll, I'll go first, this is what it looks like. I, I, I'll fall, I'll die, I'll bleed, I'll be buried in the earth, and the result will be much fruit. Stick around, right? New life. All of creation, all of nature testifies about the divine nature and character of God, Romans chapter one, read it later. So the first thing is it's just the way it works, all right? And God's using that as a metaphor for this is how, this is how it works. Second, all right, and this one's this really interesting, because of the tribal intuitive understanding of initiation, Jesus was tribal. The Jewish people were tribal, all right? And because of the tribal intuitive understanding of initiation, and intuitive means this, you just know, no one has to teach you. You just know. All right, all right? The, the Jewish religion did not invent circumcision. When, when God told Abraham to do this, it's not like they're the only people on earth doing this, all right, nor were they the only ones who practiced it. As a matter of fact, one of the most common initiation rites, I've been studying this for several years now, right, shared by unrelated tribes around the world and throughout history is male circumcision and for very, very similar reasons. The, the, the Jewish people did it, people in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, pe- people in Papua New Guinea, I mean, people in South America. It's like, it's like somewhere in time, all the peoples of the earth had a meeting, and went, here's what we're going to do, and they spread out. Now, that's, that's not true, but it, it's, almost, it's almost like that similar. And here's what all initiations ha- ha- have in common. Initiation always involves the uninitiated, all right, being called out by those who are already initiated. Come over here and join us. Join us, which entails, all right, letting go of and leaving something behind, And for initiation of a boy to become a man, typically it was leaving the safety and security of the nest of his home, mostly his mom. His mom was the nurturer, his mom was the protector. And then the initiated men call out the boy and say, come and join us, but you're gonna have to leave home. Then he would have to go through some type of painful journey or quest or test, all right, and and emerge on the other side as something new, something better, something different. Now he was a man, an adult, a member of the new community. Sometimes when initiated male, you know, went through the initiation, sometimes he was given a, a new name, I was this, but that's not who I am anymore. I have a new name. I have a new identity. And after that happened, he was able to return, ready to serve and love and provide and protect his tribe and his family. All over the world, initiations have this in common. Before initiation, a boy was considered to be an unborn, a non-person, a not-yet person. Sometimes in some some tribes, they they would say that, 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 that little boy is a ghost. He's a child, but he's not a man because something has to happen first. A price has to be paid for him to become a man. Circumcision is is often called a sacred wounding. A sacred wounding. Now, after initiation, this initiated male, he was was reconnected to something bigger. You know, some tribes would say he's connected to the universe or or to the big picture. Jesus would say he's he's connected to the kingdom of God. he's, He's part of the kingdom of God. And the initiated male, at least in Jesus' day, was now counted as a son he was now able to be considered an, an, an heir. The Jewish people would, would call a circumcised boy. Now he's a son of God. He's a son of the covenant. Entitled to all the rights and identities associated with that promise. In Jesus' day, they initiated the, the baby boys on the eighth day. Later in life, around puberty, there was, there was usually a formal ceremony that recognized the, his identity and acceptance of those responsibilities. And it's still true Today. Like, if any of you men in this room decide, you know, I think I want to convert over to the Jewish religion, all right? Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go through a class, and at the end of that class, there will be a circumcision ceremony. That's, that's a prerequisite to become Jewish. In, in the early days of the church, some leaders tried to make it a prerequisite for becoming a Christian, all right? For, for, you want to be a Christian? First become Jewish, and then become a Christian. Aren't you glad we don't do that here, all right? Baptism weekend, there's a doctor right over there, right? We don't do that, all right, all right, right. So no, it's just Jesus. Jesus plus nothing, right? Jesus plus nothing. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But bottom line, right, initiation and circumcision was always meant to teach the same lesson. There is a cost, a price for bringing forth new life. But after the initiation cost is paid, you're part of the family. You're an adult. Now, here's what's interesting, because I've been studying this for a couple of years now, right? Listen to this, ladies. M- most cultures have fewer initiation rights for women for a girl to become a woman, all right? As if acknowledging, all right, that women are taught and they learn that truth better or more naturally or understand it better just by the monthly cycle of pain and bleeding. Ladies, you know there's pain and bleeding involved in bringing forth new life. You know that. That's that's just true, all right? But think about it, even, even boys and girls, we approach this differently. Most girls, when they approach sexual maturity, they panic. Oh, no, what's happening to my body, right? All you moms in there, you've ha- you have those hard conversations like, honey, it's going to be okay, all right, you've had all that, all right? That Girls kind of re- react like in a panic. Most boys, when they reach sexual maturity, very different reaction, right? It's not, oh, no, it's like, all right, <laughs> here, right? here we go, yay, God, thank you, all right? That's just, that's just, that's just what we do, and wh- why is that? It's like nature and many cultures that have no contact or knowledge of one another also share this same belief, that a boy needs to be taught a lesson in a more dramatic way, believing that an uninitiated male, while he may be biologically or sexually or chronologically mature, if he's not taught a good lesson, and if he still acted and behaved like an irresponsible, self-centered, selfish little boy... Here's what cultures around the world all share. An uninitiated male was actually a danger to society and could not be counted on or trusted with the responsibilities of adulthood. And I, I agree. Uninitiated male, you can't trust him. What does that mean? We have a lot of 20, 30, 40, 50-year-old little boys. So, you know, they're, they're on the calendar, they're, they're men. You can't trust them. They're uninitiated, right? So first... Nature teaches it, just like a seed to become something more, in order for there to be new life, something must die. And second, tribal culture teaches us that there is a lesson that must be taught and a price that must be paid to pass from childhood and gain interest into adulthood into the family. So those are the first two answers. Here's the third one, and this is the best one. And the other two point at this. Answer number three goes like this, because of what God had already declared was true in his word. God's word trumps everything. All right, but all these other things testified to what God already said in his word. What do you mean? Well, let's go back further in history. God told Adam and Eve way back in the beginning that the result, the payment, the wage of sin is, it's death, all right? right? But later, Paul echoes in Romans chapter 6. He says this, for the wage of sin is death, still is death. But since Jesus paid that wage for us, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that sin, death, wage, in order to bring about new life, that law, listen, listen, all right? it hasn't changed it hasn't changed the wage of sin is still death all right it's still blood look at this hebrews chapter 9 says this and this was written way after the cross all right he says indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and here it is without the shedding of blood there is no what you want forgiveness somebody's going to die somebody has to believe and the initiation rite and the act of circumcision given to abraham was a physical sign of a promise that god had made to his people a promise that jesus understood and believed jesus believed this just like in nature just like a seed will need to fall to the ground and die i promise, someday god promises i will send someone who will die to bring about new life jesus looked at those greek people and said it's me Right? And just like in a tribal initiation, just like somehow written into every person on the planet throughout history has had some intuitive understanding, there's, also, there's always a cost to bringing about new life. And circumcision is a reminder of God's promise. I will pay that cost myself for you. Because the wage or the price of moving from death to life, from childhood to adulthood, from being an unborn to becoming a son of the promise, a son of God, will always be blood. That won't change. Circumcision will be your reminder of my promise, how much it will cost me, blood, pain, death of my son, Jesus, to give you life. I love how another author I've been reading, he puts it this way. He says, anyone who talks to you about eternal life and doesn't mention death doesn't know what they're talking about. Anybody says that there's a shortcut to forgiveness of sins, a shortcut to being in God's presence, and they they don't mention someone or something has to die, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. And Again, here's why I tell you all that. Because this is what Jesus grew up in. And this is what was done to Jesus when he was a, a, a Jewish little, little baby. And this is what Jesus believed was true. And this is what Jesus taught all of his followers. So anywhere in the Bible, like in Colossians 2, that we're about to look at, when Paul is referring to Jesus and or circumcision, this is what he's talking about. The cost of life is death. That's what he's referring to. What do you mean? I mean, this is what moves a person from death to life, from being separate from God to becoming a member of God's family, his kingdom. So let's look at this, all right, let's look at at Colossians chapter 2 through these new eyes, this new filter, and see what was really going on and what Paul meant, all right. So Colossians 2 verse 9 says this, For in him, in Jesus, all right, for in Jesus the whole fullness of deity, God, dwells bodily. So in Jesus, he's fully God. And you have been filled in him, all right, Christ in you, who is the head of all rule and authority, Christ is supreme over everything, in him, in Jesus, also, this is really, really important, look at this. In, in Jesus, also, you, and he's talking about us, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. We'll come back to that. Having been buried with him in baptism, what baptism? Blood, death, resurrection, all right? In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, what's he talking about? What's Paul talking about here, about all this stuff, all right? Obviously, Paul is not talking about physical circumcision for for several reasons. Because first of all, Jesus did not physically circumcise anybody in Colossae or Colorado. I think I'm safe to say that. Anybody? All right, I'm good. All right, all right, all right, right. So that's the first reason. Jesus didn't physically circumcise anybody. And second, Paul is talking to both men and women. So do the math there, all right? And then third, he's talking to people who come from both a Jewish physically circumcised background and a non-jewish physically uncircumcised background and in another place paul said makes a strong case that you don't have to be circumcised in order to become a christian so what's he talking about he's talking about what is the price or the initiation right that makes it possible for a disconnected child male or female to have their status changed to i'm an heir of everything my father has for me so ladies all right let me just go back all right let's go back two thousand years in the culture that was going on here women had no rights all right? a, one, a girl, if her dad died, she, she couldn't inherit her dad's stuff. So anytime you find you're now a son of, of God, you're an heir of God, it's a status. So male or female, you're now moved into the person like, I'm equal with, with the men and everybody else. I can have everything God has for me as his heir. Does that make sense? So it's a cultural understanding that we have to kind of look through that, that, that lens, all right? So, so what does Paul refer to when he talks about Jesus circumcising you, but not with his hands and not of the cutting of your flesh? Then what? And the answer is, he's talking about everything that God promised Abraham. God would send someone to pay the price of admission, out of death and into life, out of condemnation and into the family of God. Everything that physical circumcision was symbolic of, Jesus did. He, he paid that blood, that death price for you, all right? Jesus is your circumcision. He is your initiation into the kingdom of God. Look at verse 13, all right? And you, and he's talking about us, all right? And you who were dead in your trespasses. We'll come back to that. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all our mistakes, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. I I I can't do everything God told me to do. I failed, and that separated me from God. This, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, everything that circumcision was a sign of, cover to cover in the Bible, was fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. Pain Blood, pain, and death, that's the price. New life is the result. Death is the price. Life is the result. Everybody get that? Now, what's that mean? Because here's another phrase that gets t- tossed around in church world a lot or, or some words that, that we read in the Bible and we skip over them because you know, either we, we, we don't know what they mean and so we'll just keep on reading until we find out something we mean or, or, or we know what it means or we think we know what it means and maybe we do, maybe we don't, but what, it, it usually means much more than we settle for. But here's our goal today, if we knew what was going on in the head and the heart of the, of the person who wrote it down, it might mean more, Right? So let's go back to this. Look at this. Chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made what? So you were dead and then God made you alive together with Jesus. Now, what does that mean? You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh and God made you alive with Jesus. What's that mean? I was dead, God did something, I'm alive. What's it mean? Does it mean well, because I sinned, all right, and I fell short of the glory of God, because of that, I was cut off from God and condemned to separation uh, from God and condemned to hell after I died, but because of Jesus and what he did on a cross, I now have access to God to get, to get into heaven and live eternally with God from now on. Is that what it means? Come on, you got the Bethlehem thing, come on. Yeah, yes, Jim, that's what it means. Yes, that is what it means. You got that one right, all right? But here's my other question. Is that all it means? Is that, is that all it means? And I say no. It, no, I mean, it, it means this, all right? It means that because of sin, before Jesus came into your life, before you were a Christian, get this, ready? You were already dead. You were already dead. Now, now don't walk out on me, all right? All right? But, but, but through what Jesus did for you on the cross, symbolized and foreshadowed by the covenant of circumcision, God's power made you alive, resurrected you, gave you an additional life. And I've been doing, I've been doing this pastor thing for over 30 years, all right? And I tell you, I've I met a lot of people who read that or hear people like me say that, and their and the response is, that's dumb, that, that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm not dead. I want to go Monty Python so bad. I'm not dead yet, all right, all right. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dead, all right. Are you saying, Jim, are you saying that, that a person, if they don't have faith in Jesus, they're dead? No. That's what God says. That's what God says. Without Jesus, you're already dead, now, now, let me read you what I think is the best explanation of what God giving me new life or an additional life, what that looks like, okay? And, and, and I've believed all this for, for years and years and years. Over the last couple of weeks as I've been really leaning into this, for the first time it, it's like clicked on a whole new level. Like, oh. So I'm going to read you something out, out of a book by Dallas Willard called Hearing God. High, highly recommend this book. But, but it, at first it's going to sound kind of silly. Like, what are you talking about? And if you'll just hang with me through this, you'll go, Oh. Now I understand it a little bit a bit more, okay? So I'm gonna read out of his book, and then there's gonna be some pictures on the screen behind me. Follow along, it gets deep, all right? So here's a question. What is life? What is life? In, in all its various levels and types, life is power to act and respond in different kinds of relations. So I'm in relations with different things, but it's a power to act based on what, what I am, all right? So I'll give you an example. Here's where it gets deep. A cabbage... All right, has certain powers of action and response and a corresponding level of life. Does that make sense? All right, there's a big difference between a cabbage that is alive and one that is dead, though the dead ones still exist. That's philosophy, right there, right? Everybody understand? Live cabbage, dead cabbage, they're both cabbages, they both exist. Got it? All right, so this can also be said here we go of a snail or a kitten. Oh, all right, right. But, But a live cabbage makes no response to, say, a ball of string right that's precisely because of the kind of life that is in it though alive as a cabbage it's down it's dead to the realm of play right we all agree with that put a string in front of a cabbage nothing all right (laughs) it just doesn't do all right Similarly, a kitten playing with a string can make no response to numbers or poetry. And in that sense, the kitten is dead to the realms of arithmetic and literature. A live cabbage, though dead to one realm, that of play, playing with string, is yet alive to another, that of soil, the sun, and the rain. The situation is similar with the kitten playing with a string. Right? Human beings, that was a metaphor, all right? That was a parable. Let's unpack it. Human beings were once alive to God. They were created to be responsive and interactive with God. Adam and Eve lived in a conversational relationship with their creator daily renewed. That's what I'm going for. That's what I want. That's how I want to live my life. When they mistrusted God and disobeyed him, that cut them off from the realm of God, the realm of the spirit. Thus they became dead in relation to the realm of the spirit, much as a kitten is dead to arithmetic. Are you with me? god had said let's just go let's track through this god had said of the forbidden tree in the day you eat of it you shall die genesis 2 and they did but think about it biologically they continue to live they didn't drop dead there in the garden But they cease to be responsive and interactive in relation to God's cosmic rule in his kingdom. It would be necessary for God to confer an additional level of life on humans through, this is what Jesus said, being born from above, John 3. This would enable them, us, once again to be alive to God, to be able to respond toward him and to act within the realm of the spirit. Human beings born of the water, John 3, that is through natural birth, are alive in the flesh, in the biological realm of nature, but in relation to God, they remained dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. Therefore they, we, inhabit a world without hope and without God, Ephesians 2. They can, however, according to Jesus, be born a second time, born from above. This is not merely to be born again in the sense of repeating something or to make a new start from the same place. Instead, it is a matter of an additional kind of birth whereby we become aware of and enter into the spiritual kingdom of God. Here's where it all comes together. Imagine an otherwise normal kitten that suddenly begins to appreciate and compose poetry and that image will give you an impression of the huge transition involved in this additional birth. That's the difference. This additional birth is brought about by God's word and God's spirit and it's spiritual in its effects. What is born of the flesh is flesh and what is born of the spirit is spirit. That's what we're talking about. This is what it means to have faith in Jesus and this is the faith of Jesus. Jesus this is what Jesus believed this is what Jesus taught the message of Jesus is a mystery but it's now been revealed to us and it is good news it's the gospel it goes like this the kingdom of God is near and available to you Christ is in you and he's your only hope and everything physical is limited and temporary like circumcision but it all points at a promise a covenant that is spiritual and eternal and real that's reality so here's our takeaway today all right, we're gonna walk out of here. Here's what I hope you remember. I was dead. I was dead. I, I was an unborn, and then I was initiated into the kingdom, the tribe, the family of God. How? Because of the cutting, the blood, and the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, the seed that fell and died and rose to life to make my additional new life possible. I was dead. Because of everything the circumcision represented, Jesus bought me into the family. Does that make sense? Now, one more sign of, the, of a new covenant. A sign to help us remember that God kept his, 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 com- his promise, his, his covenant. On the, day, on the night that Jesus was arrested, he got his, his 12 disciples around a table, and they were doing a Jewish Seder feast, all right, because it was Passover. And in the middle of that, he said, oh, I'm going to add something to this. And he said, everybody take a piece of bread. They passed out bread. Everybody take a cup of wine. Everybody take a drink. This, this bread is my body. This wine is my blood. Drink my blood. And they all looked at him like, are Are you nuts? That's, what, what are you talking about? We don't drink blood. What, what are you talking about? This is a sign of a new covenant based on the old one. What was the old one? The old one was circumcision. God will send someone to take away your sins and reconnect you back into the family. Communion is a celebration of a new covenant that he kept his promise. It's Jesus. So we're going to do that right now together. We're going to take communion together. Some of you are going, well, I've only been here once or twice. Am I, am I allowed to take communion here? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on a cross for your sins? If you put your trust and faith in him, that makes you a Christian absolutely so we're gonna take communion together a little piece of bread's gonna come down the aisle a little little cup of grape juice is gonna come down the aisle you eat it and you drink and you remember the, the sign of the new covenant that God kept his promise now last week we did a little breathing stuff all right Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me Jesus says I want you to drink to eat this bread and drink this cup and I want you to remember so how about during communion time today you just kind of breathe some stuff in Lord Jesus Christ thank you for forgiving me Lord Jesus Christ you're here Christ in me, God near me. Lord Jesus Christ, I am forgiven. And celebrate the new covenant. Let's worship together, let's pray together, let's celebrate this covenant together. God, I love you so much. I love what you're doing in my life and the life of so many men and women in this room, boys and girls. You're, 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 you're doing something different and fresh and new. Maybe it's not new, maybe it's ancient. Maybe finally we're paying attention. That, that Christ, it's not just words on a scripture. You actually are in us and God, you are near us and around us, and we are in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus brought us into. And so we're going to take some bread, and we're going to take some grape juice, and remember, Christ in us, God near us. Christ in us, I'm forgiven. And we're going to celebrate this new covenant of your blood. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.